head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 289 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. Shawnee Podcasts, the pod god, the quarantine king, the legend. Joined today by uh, the uh, Chuck Bass of Irish MMA media, Graham McDonald, as we talk about a pretty interesting uh, week in the world of MMA. In the second half of the podcast, we're going to look back at UFC 255, which went down uh, last night. But in the first half of the podcast, we're going to talk about McGregor versus Poirier. We're going to talk about the Bellator card that happened this week. We're going to look ahead to next week's card and all of that. So, bumper podcast uh, this week uh, and it's all brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped just launched in the UK, Ireland, Europe and we've gone years without using the proper tools for the job. You can be one of the first men in Ireland, England, France, the UK, wherever you are uh, to experience life-changing products. Uh, I know myself and Graham have, have been calling out for this sort of thing. Graham used to be fucking hacking away with scissors and fucking nail clippers and face shavers and the whole lot for the last 20 years but now he has the he has the right tools for the job that's why bad gift have have redesigned our electric trimmer i have it here in front of me hold on i found it after last week after i couldn't remember uh, or after i couldn't get it uh the manscape engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released uh the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 in the uk and ireland which i have here uh their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming uh, accidents when i tell you it's premium it really is premium the battery lasts up to 90 minutes i haven't even charged mine yet and i've been having it on for fucking 10 minutes in the podcast <laughs> every week for the last month uh so it's still going strong and the waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower one of the coolest features is the led light i love that so i'm putting it on here light comes on turning off the light goes off really really good it illuminates the grooming area uh, for closer, more precise precision trimming. Uh, precise precision? I sound like fucking Mike Goldberg. Uh, let's not forget about the charging stand as well. Um, show you're more off loud and proud when the intelligently designed stand. Uh, up to 7,000 RPM motor quick stroke technology. Uh, and you can charge it with, uh, with USB uh, as well in that stand. Uh, if you listen to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand. Uh, let's get that bush to tush clean the, the fucking the, the balls to hole get it all clean more of an more of an Irish tang to it there um, get 20% off and free shipping with the code Severe and Manscaped so that's a great deal I fucking hate paying for shipping really really annoying so you get free shipping and 20% off so if you buy 100 euro worth of stuff you'll get it for 80 buy 50 euro worth of stuff you'll get it for 40 really really good deal um, uh, so make your testies their besties 20% off free shipping with the promo code severe MMA at manscaped so if you go to eu.manscaped.com uh, you'll be able to get it there it's 20% off free shipping manscaped.com use promo code severe MMA your balls will thank you your girlfriend will thank you your wife will thank you maybe your boyfriend will thank you whatever way you, whatever way it is Graham they'll all thank you how are things how, how's your manscaped going for you Graham it's a, it's a Final product, isn't it? Yeah, Friend. good, good, good. 
yeah. it's a good old present to buy as well uh, for for somebody for Christmas. Uh, fucking, you know, uh, some people might need a bit, <laughs> might have uh, decades of uh, of um, growth. How do I put this? <laughs> Forestry. <laughs> like this, is, this is going in a strange direction, so we'll leave it. <laughs> we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Uh, right, let's get straight into it, Sean. I suppose, uh, as we said at the start of the podcast, we're going to talk about UFC 255 and all that happened last night there uh, at the second half of the podcast. Uh, but we're going to first talk about Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. And I suppose over the last while... You know, we've mentioned this fight a couple of times, and on the Q and A, I suppose a few people have asked. But we like there hasn't been that much, I suppose, to talk about him about McGregor. He he kind of retired. There was the back and forth with the UFC. There was the DMs released with Dana White. Dana White seems to have done everything in his power to kind of make it tough for McGregor to come back. Uh, and McGregor kind of got sick of yeah. it, I think, and just kind of walked away a little bit. But now he's finally back. UFC two five seven January twenty third, a rematch with Dustin Poirier. First fight was at one forty five. You know, since then, McGregor has uh, gone to boxing, he's gone to 170, he's gone to 155. Poirier has just moved to 155 and has been there uh, ever since and gone on a great run. I think he's 10-2 and two since that McGregor fight, fought for the title and looked absolutely fantastic. So, you know, uh, some people, I, I suppose, might be listening to this podcast after not having listened for a while when they see McGregor's name popping up in the description and maybe think like, oh, McGregor versus Poirier again, what's the point of that McGregor knocked him out in like a minute and a half? But I think someone put up the odds the other day. The odds are closer for this fight. I think maybe that's a reflection. I think the odds might even should even be a little bit closer. This is a really good fight, isn't it? It makes a lot of sense for McGregor. Now, right up at the top of the division, we see uh, last night the, the fight between Charles Oliveira and Tony Ferguson was announced. So that's another fight. The winner of that is going to be right towards the top of the division as well. Habib says he's not coming back. So the title is going to be on the line. Uh, Michael Chandler around as well. Justin Gaethje just lost. So it's a big time for the division. But this McGregor-Poria fight, it means an awful lot, isn't it? And it's a really big fight. It's great to have McGregor back as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like the the, the the you I mentioned at the start of your kind of comments there. Like, what what's the reason that you know in in your opinion that the UFC were and Dana White especially were kind of fobbing fobbing this off and this kind of had to be kind of forced into reality by Connor and Dustin agreeing to like a charity or some exhibition charity bout on like social media kind of like and releasing the dms and all yeah. that stuff kind of forced or pressured the ufc like i know there's, there's, a, there's like a 10 million gate or whatever 12 million gate there's a lot of money but you can't wait forever and you think you know they'd want somebody like that to be as active as possible like the mania was at its highest when it was three three four fights a year or whatever you know the, yeah. that was when that was when the ufc was doing its best business that's when it became worth 4.02 billion or whatever it was and got sold you know what is the reasoning? I, I I just don't know. I think you hit the nail on the head with the two reasons there. Like the first reason, I think because they can't have crowds. Now Dana White has said as well that there's going to be, uh, I'm not. Uh, there's going to be like an international fight week around this. He's going to have bands and so you know um, pool parties and everything. And, and you so you'd assume that there's going to be a crowd at this. You know, which is a bit weird. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but um, it's. You know, so the two parts, they can't get a crowd from McGregor and they wanted to wait till the new year so they can get a crowd. And then the second part of it is um, the DMs, I think. Like, <laughs> you can't, like, uh, uh, you know, I think there could have been a bit of negotiation. But they, but, but they were popping them off mm -hmm. before for months. Yeah, it was before the DM. That's why the DMs got released because of the the fobbing off and the lying about what was but happening I think, in the, I, I like, uh, to the media. Okay, I think there was a lot of fobbing off, and I 100% agree with you. But I think like the the like 
actually trying to hold him back and like saying negative things and just disagreeing and making it hard came after DMs. Like Dana White is the most petty man ever. Like you can understand. I, I talked about it. Who, who was I, I? I was with Ken Early when we had him on the podcast, and we were kind of explaining it. And we we're like, right, the reason McGregor is not fighting and the UFC don't want him to fight is they're losing so much money and everything like that. Now. Because I think the UFC kind of realised this is going to be a thing that's going to be around for a long while, although maybe hopefully that'll change pretty soon. I think they might have recalibrated a little bit and are like saying, right, we'll get McGregor out maybe at the start of next year and might be able to get some crowds in or whatever. And then we'll his second fight back, maybe they'll be able to be full crowds again or, you know, in a foreign country get full crowds or whatever. But the second he released those DMs, I think like, like people might see Dana White and... Look at him and say he's like this, uh, he's the, the CEO of the UFC, or, you know, he's not the CEO, he's the president or whatever, but you know what I mean? Like this uh, professional guy, <laughs> he's really not, like, he he's DMing a guy, bro, we're gonna get you, I promised you, bro, like, it's the most unprofessional shit ever, and he's like, he's like a pure child, like, he calls people kid all the time and everything, like, he's going to... If you like slight him, if you say something bad about him, he's going to make your life hard, and he's going to turn his back on you. Oh, like, yeah. It happens. There. Look at look at Anderson oh, he has Silva. A history of a, yeah, look at Anderson what Silva. What I'm like. saying is, yeah, go on. Yeah, I understand, but what I'm saying is this: this was before the DMs that he was like according to the DMs, and you know, Connor's trying to get a fight three weeks after the the Cerrone fight, and he's he's been told basically no. Why do you think Dana's going in the public and saying, oh? I offered him fights and Dana's going to the public media and saying, oh, I offered him fights. You didn't take them. It's like, what what does he think is going to happen? Like, you know, why is he starting this kind of, you know, they were always kind of gone on well in public, at least, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you know, they'd always kind of say, oh, respect from Dana said he was like the easiest guy to work with ever or something at one Mm -hmm. stage. Like, you know, what changed? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. What made Dana not not want him to fight? Like I know the DMs and all, definitely like you know probably Sarah things at least uh, for the moment. But uh, I think the DMs were released as a result of Dana yeah. fobbing off and and talking the opposite in the in the media. Do you know what it is? It's a very interesting story. Do you know another thing as well? Every time McGregor puts up like a post about like history or something like that, it's always Lorenzo. You know. It's always like, oh, how deal, this deal got done, me and Lorenzo, or, you know, t- toasting with Lorenzo and Frank and stuff like that. And whenever he mentions something about Dana... Yeah, Uncle Frank. <laughs> yeah. Well, when he, sometimes, you know, he, he does it. I'm not saying he never did that about Dana, but sometimes, like, the, he posted RDA pictures the other day, and he's like, look at Dana in the background, ha, ha, ha. It's not like, you know, it's not something complimentary or Dana, or, like, really, like, you know, uh, getting on the good side of Dana. It's always Lorenzo and things like that. So I think there's, I don't know, there's a bit of, like, McGregor... To say what you want about McGregor, but he is, I think he's really tried to be a businessman along with being a fighter and all the other things over the last while. And, you know, he's done, you know, I'm sure you could tell people like a lot of deals with the, the whiskey and like their adverts and, you know, parry match and all this stuff. And I'm sure there's been a lot of things like that he's attempted to do professionally. And I'm sure Lorenzo, because he's in a similar sort of situation, has done a lot of things professionally. And I don't think Dana is a similar sort of guy. I think that's, but that's a big part of the reason why he's there as well. I think he's there as like the head of the organization. And I wonder, is it like that Dana has felt a little bit bypassed uh, by McGregor uh, over over the years and stuff I I don't know there definitely seems to be a bit of tension there now I bet you if you ask McGregor yeah, well, he'd probably say he, there isn't and I bet you if you ask Dana he'd probably say there isn't as well but there is like there has to be a bit there yeah 
Well, Dana, I suppose Dana is used to like you know him being the complete boss, and then yeah. Connor's kind of like pallying up with the the kind of the bigger bosses. Maybe, yeah, maybe Dana, Dana doesn't like that. Uh, maybe it's like a, maybe he's conscious of it, or maybe he isn't. You know, maybe he's gone to the cap. Uh, yeah, it's hard to know, but yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, the, the the fight is made, so all that is is in the past. But I do think like I do feel like he was kind of not forced into it, but pressured into it, just but kind of. Uh, and I find it very strange. Um, too, yeah. I'd love to know what Dana's thinking. We'll probably never know, but we'll definitely never know. Probably, but nearly definitely never, never know. But uh, the fight's made now, so you know. <laughs> hopefully, uh, there'll be no injuries to either guy, and oh, it can God. go ahead. Oh, you are for Jigsaw now. What do you think of the fight itself? Like, uh, do you think now it's a different fight now to to the fight when it happened before? Do you think like they're closer in terms of quality, or did why did you see it? Um, well, I think there's a big disparity uh, in, in in the talents and abilities when they're both at their best. It's just a question that everybody kind of, you know, can Connor ever get back to his best? Like if he goes out there, like, you know, his, 150, his first 155 appearance, uh, 155 pound appearance in the UFC uh, against Eddie Alvarez and fights anything like that or is in that kind of shape or is in that kind of that motivated then it, it should be a, a walk in the park for him but it, the, the questions are all that people have are all around Connor they're not really you know everybody respects Dustin's ability but it's really the questions are around Connor mm-hmm. yeah I think like I think most people would agree if McGregor's at his best like the Connor McGregor to beat Eddie Alvarez oh yeah it's, a, it's getting a bit fucking sickening actually saying that but like <laughs> you know what I mean if he's like that I think he'll beat Poirier you know and it won't be easy Poirier will put up a great fight and he's after improving an awful lot but I agree I, like, I think it's down to the, how good McGregor is now McGregor talked about this season and we talked about it even before that and things like that about coming back and fighting uh, to start the year as he did against uh, against Cowboy Cerrone and then having one maybe an international fight weekend one around now you know or maybe early next year whatever it might be uh, three fights in 11-12 months like he did with the four fights 11-12 months when he was at maybe his best or, or even you know before that when he had the, the featherweight run um it's interesting now because obviously the the Rona is a, a big reason why that had, didn't happen. We just discussed the Dana White um, you know issue as well why he didn't get a, a fight in the interim. But I think I, I was talking about it, someone asked in the Q and A, and it's it's an interesting one because it, okay, it's a year out of the cage for McGregor uh, between Cowboy and Poirier, but like it's it's not as if he has been like away for a year. It's not as if he's been off boxing for a year or like been out getting in trouble as he was for a while for a year or things like that. Like he and you know he's been away training here for what for the last month maybe. So like we're we're talking about August or September, October, November, December, January. That that's five months out of that year out where McGregor's basically training and preparing for this fight now. I don't know what he's going to do over Christmas and come back and stuff, and I don't know how, you know, how much uh, of that was like complete camp. But it seems like he has been kind of in a camp, or he has been training for this for, for four or five months, you know, three, four or five months, uh, uh, putting a long time into it. So it isn't quite like a year out of the cage or a year out of practice or a year away from the sport. you know. And, and he was kind of in the gym as well before that, I know, like hoping he'd get a fight and, you know, maybe he went out and, and started back in. But it does... It, to me, I don't think the year out now is as big as like before when he was coming back for the cowboy fight or, or other fights like that or even being away to do the, the boxing and then coming back. I think it's a little bit different now. And, did, you know, the one thing, you know, you said the question there as always, is McGregor as good as he used to be? Um, I think he looked, against cowboy, it was only 40 seconds. But I remember directly after I did like a 10-minute podcast or 5-minute podcast or whatever, talking about the fight. And like... 
I remember thinking to myself, you don't throw those shoulders like that unless you're very confident, unless you're very cool and calm in the cage. Now, McGregor's always been great at that, but unless you're kind of prepared as well. And I feel like he was for that fight. Now, with the back and forth with Dana and all, has he lost a bit of that? Or with, you know, spending a lot of time in camp, has he gained a bit of that? And I know Keen Cowley put up a picture, he's out there with him, and Lee Hammond and things as well. Uh, and he's, you know, I'm sure he's other people uh, training with him as well. So it's a very interesting one. It'll be interesting to see what McGregor looks like. You know, Poria has had one fight in the last year as well. He fought, um, he fought Dan Hooker in June, so he has been more active in him, and it was last September before he fought um, when he when he fought uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. So you know he hasn't been the, the most active either. Um, so it's interesting. I like the, the fight itself. I'm sure we'll speak about it more when it comes closer to the time. But obviously, you know you have Poirier who you know has kind of. I think up to Ante with his his uh, his game in the last while, he's become a really, really good boxer. Lovely, lovely jab. We know his submission game has been really good. He hasn't got one since 2017 against uh, against Anthony Pettis, and even that one was a bit of a weird submission. Um, but, you know, he's always talking about this drop it on the guillotine and stuff like that. But And McGregor, you know, we, we know his boxing game, his jab, his big left hand, his big kicks and stuff. And the one key for me as well, Graham, I'll throw it over to this and we, we'll maybe move on for the fight after this because we'll be talking about a lot over the next two to three months, is um, the 155. I think it makes a big difference because McGregor, we, we talked about it, I don't know what it was, on, on the q and I think maybe last week, that you touched on it and you, you talked about his boxing uh, being um, made better by the kicks he can throw and by... You know, those flashy kicks that kind of put people off. I think when he went up to 170, because of that extra weight he was carrying and because of the first Diaz fight where he gassed very early, I think he stopped throwing those kicks and couldn't throw those kicks and threw leg kicks instead rather than big flashy kicks. I think maybe he'll be able to bring those back. This will be his more natural weight class. We saw him in the first fight throwing them as well, putting, you know, Parry off a little bit maybe and then coming in with his boxing to just add another bit. You know, variety is a huge thing in MMA. What, what do you think of that? What do you think of the 155-pound weight class? It makes, to me, it makes a lot of sense, especially with Habib, uh, you know, maybe being out of the picture now and the belt maybe being up for grabs pretty soon as well. Yeah, well, I've always personally thought that uh, he was best at 155. If you look at, like, the Bushinger performance and uh, the one, the last one before the Eddie Alvarez performance, it was obviously um, really good. Obviously, the Habib fight it was at 155 and didn't go to, didn't go well, uh, didn't go to plan, but, you know, everybody knows about Habib and, and you know, maybe Connor's build-up and everything surrounding that fight wasn't, wasn't the best. Uh you know, uh, besides, like, obviously, that Habib is a huge fight and a huge, a huge thing in, in both of their careers. But besides that fight, he's been really, you know, phenomenal at 155 pounds. Um, okay, Bushinger isn't exactly, you know, uh, a UFC champion or anything, but and Eddie Alvarez, maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't the, the, the most talented or best UFC lightweight, light heavyweight or lightweight champion there's been, but mm-hmm. he's obviously a extremely good fighter, been around for a long time, and he's never been clowned like that. You know, absolutely dominated and styled on hands behind the back, all that stuff. Just, just you know, made look like he, like he had, didn't he made look like a just another guy, just mm-hmm. you know, another guy in the gym, and and you know performances like that we it's it's so special when you see a performance like that because we we very very rarely see performances like that yeah you know maybe anderson silva against forrest griffin or even though that wasn't for a title but that was a former champion you know 
them kind of performances are very rare. But, but uh, if Connor can get anywhere near that, like anywhere near that, which he's you know, which he's done historically at 155 pounds, if he fights anything like that, then he he should have no trouble. With, well, not no trouble. Poirier is like you know good everywhere, but he should he, he should win that fight handily. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. It'll be interesting. Obviously, we'll talk a lot about that and we'll have a lot of podcasts and there'll be a big uh, Patreon um, build-up to that as there always is for McGregor Fights. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. I'm already lining up a couple of people and a, f- a few ideas as well, so that should be uh, that should be pretty fun. Come here, Graham. Before we, we kind of move on from the DOC lightweight division, what do you think of the fight made last night? Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. I think it's the 12th of December in this year anyway. Kind of coming up here in what? three weeks <laughs> it's a bit of a mad fight to be making that quickly but you know a lot of people talking about oh, Tony Ferguson getting back in the cage everyone wants to see Tony back I think it's a huge opportunity for Charles Oliveira because if if Charles Oliveira beats Tony Ferguson he climbs over a lot of those people you know he probably climbs over uh, Gaethje he probably climbs over um, uh, Michael Chandler he climbs over maybe the, the loser of the McGregor versus Poirier fight like let's say McGregor versus Poirier is not for the title Charles Oliveira beats um, beats Tony Ferguson it's probably going to be you know McGregor versus Oliveira Poirier versus Oliveira for that title if Habib is not coming back so huge fight isn't it how, how do you think this one goes do you think uh, Oliveira has a chance to beat, uh, to beat your boy Tony Ferguson yeah, I think he definitely has a chance. Uh, like, I, I've never rated Tony Ferguson as high as a, a lot of people have. But, you know, uh, in the past, o- up until re- recently, like, the, the past few fights, Charles Oliveira has looked phenomenal. But before that, kind of, if, if things start going against him, he kind of has kind of given up. Um, maybe he's put that behind him. But after how many times we've seen, and, you know, <clears throat> even the Max Holloway thing where, like, I don't know what happened in that fight. Like, he got punched in the shoulder and kind of gave up. Fell down, yeah. It was very strange. So, you know, um, it's a very interesting one. Like, you, if you're looking at his recent performances, you'd probably pick Charles Oliveira. But Tony Ferguson is obviously very tough. He, 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 like, historically anyway, like, he took a seriously bad beating against Justin Gaethje. Maybe he won't be the same after that. But if he's if he is able to take the same kind of damage and walk forward, he should be able to put enough damage on uh, Charles Oliveira. But... The, I'm kind of when I'm thinking about Charles Oliveira, it's hard to get the old Charles Oliveira in my mind. If this guy had to come in, you know, without that kind of, you know, past of kind of looking for looking for a way out, the second things don't really go your way, it's 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 hard to pick him against somebody like Tony Ferguson. But it's a very interesting fight because you know stylistically as well, and all these factors I mentioned and more. Obviously, uh, Tony coming back from the the first loss in a long time as well, and can can he can he be the same afterwards? And can he kind of make another run at it? Probably not. I don't think so. But but you know, either one of these guys, you know, it's kind of a win win for the UFC. If either one of these wins, it's 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 a uh, catapults them into kind of a different realm. Yeah, I I think it's a huge fight for for Charles Oliveira. But like, okay, look, it's very unfair to do Tony this. Tony Ferguson needs it as well, though. He does. No, Tony yeah. Ferguson needs it as well. If he goes out and loses two in a row after Gaethje's got smashed by a babe as well, like people be saying, "I was never that good." Even yeah. though I'm already been saying that for years, but people be agreeing <laughs> with me, and I, I, you know, I think, nobody wants that. I think the thing is right. If Oliveira wins it, it, it propels him. If Tony Ferguson wins him, wins it. I don't think it puts him in that much of a better position okay put him in a better position because he's coming off a win rather than loss but you know he's fighting a guy below him in the rankings who a lot of people respect and think is very good but it's just below that you know we, we talked about the the five guys mcgregor Poirier, gaethje chandler and ferguson who will be in the title mix and charles Oliveira is kind of the number six there and you know obviously would have Beeb as well the number seven but you know what i mean 
if you know, so it means that more for for Oliveira. But if you look at Oliveira's last fights, right? Um, Clay Guida, uh, Christos Giagos, Jim Miller, David Timor, Nick Lins, Jared Gordon, Kevin Lee. Right, the Kevin Lee win is a really, really good win, especially when he guillotines him. But like, you know, it's hard to say on that form, even though he's been really good, but with that level of opponent, you know, and I, it's not as simple as that either. I know before people give out to me, but you'd have to you'd have to favor Tony Ferguson. But it's a great fight. It's it's a great fight. I'm I'm really, really, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So some uh, exciting times coming up in the UFC lightweight uh, division. Um, as well, okay, we'll move on here to maybe the cards next week, but we'll talk about a couple of the things that have already happened. I'm not sure, Graham, if you saw last night, Kayla Harrison uh, won over, over the Lion King in her uh, Invicta debut, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, the, the PFL uh, lightweight champion who was given a release because the PFL are off until oh, next summer, I think. Uh, so she hopes to fight again uh, for Invicta before that, but she went out, you know, tried to show off, her, show off her striking a little bit. Didn't look fantastic on the striking, but she reminds me, she's like a female Brock Lesnar, you know, she's big, strong, throws those little rabbit punches when you get to the ground that are just kind of bludgeoning, first time as well, because PFL don't have elbows, she was able to throw elbows last night, and she absolutely opened up her opponent with elbows, she was bleeding like a fucking radiator, uh, and she uh, got her down again in the second round, did, uh, King did a great job to survive the first round. I was able to get the finish. The open scoring as well last night in Kansas, which um, we won't get into a whole lot because I might have a podcast coming up this week or, or the week after maybe on that, which will be very, very interesting, uh, I feel. So we, we'll uh, we'll wait out for that. But um, a good win for uh, for Kale Harrison as well. And a, a big thing as well, 145 pounds. So uh, she, what is she, 7, 8, 8 no, I think now. Um, you know, I tweeted last night, it's... It, it, you could very well argue, and you know maybe you could argue against it as well, but the, the three best featherweight women in the world are in tr- four different promotions. <laughs> you know, Cyborg in Bellator, the UFC Amanda Nunes, and in the PFL slash Invicta, you have Kayla Harris. Now, I'm sure Jermaine Durandamy and maybe Holly Holm and so forth would, would argue that, but uh, it's uh, it's a very uh, disjointed division, that one, I suppose. But Kayla Harrison, she's putting it together really well, and... You know, maybe, okay, she doesn't have the striking, she doesn't have the all-around game, but when you're as strong and big as that, and a real 145-pounder, or even 155-pounder, she doesn't like cutting weight, but she's she goes in there, let's say she gets to 12, 13, and 0 in PFL, comes over to the UFC, and fights Amanda Nunes, she's going to be bigger than Amanda Nunes, she's going to have that judo, she's going to have that ability to grapple with her, and we've seen in the past that can be a bit of a weakness for Amanda Nunes, so that's a fight, maybe a 2022 fight, <laughs> you know, that we can we can look forward to, but I have to mention Kayla Harrison there, and Invicta put on a, a good card, you know, I was watching a couple of the other fights as well, so uh, Invicta, we maybe don't talk about it enough but um yeah they put, put on a good card as well and doing great things for for women's mma uh then we had uh bellator on thursday night again um i did a, a review of it on uh patreon so we won't go through it in uh in full details here but there was some good wins there for jj wilson he's seven and all now fighting out of new zealand if i'm not mistaken jeremy kindy looked good as well beating mike bezetti moved to 16 and two raffian stats beat uh, kevin lee's brother keith lee joey davis moves to eight and all the wrestling uh supremo looked really good there uh, my boy Jason Jackson beat Vincent Henderson, really beat him down. He's 13 and 4, but you'll probably be 14 and 3 after the Ed Root decision was very, very controversial. Uh, and I think a lot of people thought he should have won that. So, Jason Jackson fighting in the welterweight division. I'd love to see him fight MVP next. I think. I think he'd give MVP all he could do. I think he'd give Douglas Lima all he could do, to be honest. I think he's a really, really good fighter. And this is a guy that's maybe flying under the radar in that division. Uh, but uh, I, like, I, I don't think I'd pick him to beat Lima. I think it'd be a good
good fight, but against MVP, I wouldn't be opposed to picking him. You know, so it'd be an interesting fight. And in the main event, AJ McKee versus Darian Caldwell. I know we talked about this last week, Graham, and, and you picked. Dar- I don't know if you picked Darian Caldwell, but you said Darian Caldwell would uh, would give Molly Kadu, but AJ McKee is just different level, isn't he? He's he's a phenomenal fighter, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, well, I thought he might be able to get. Oh, sorry, the dog's going off here, I'm but I think uh, I thought Caldwell might be able to get get takedowns on McKee, and and he was. But uh, you know, he, McKee just showed he was he was on a different level. Once it hit the ground, uh, beautiful finish, uh, unorthodox, and you know you don't see it that often. That kind of that kind of joke, but uh, yeah, it was a uh, or a neck crank, but. Um, yeah, you know, he just showed that you know he was calm there. He didn't. He, he was like expecting, probably expecting to get take get get taken down. And he, Caldwell in the past had been caught in a few guillotines as well. So there definitely was a blueprint there. But uh, yeah, I thought uh, I definitely thought Caldwell would put up a, a better fight, a longer a longer fight. But fair play to McKee. He's what is he 17, 17 and now now. Yeah, crazy. What you want you to get a submission? Uh, yeah, well, like. <sighs> At the time, you're thinking uh, this probably won't work, but then it did. So, what do I know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, the catch wrestling people are calling it a hundred percent neck crank. So, I know Luke Thomas called it the McKeatine, but it's not a guillotine. Like, wow, <laughs> that makes no sense. I've called it the McCrank, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it was it was pretty insane anyway, and I think there'll be a lot of people do- like that's going to be a submission that people are going to do because like. It doesn't look like the most ultra complicated submission in the world. Like you get, and you know, BJJ people are probably fucking roaring at the, at the computer screen out. This fat fucking prick. But uh, like you, for me, very basic. Looking at it, like you get the body triangle. You know, the the guy puts himself in that position, and you know, you get the hundred percent grip, and you just pull as hard as you fucking can. That's a very hard position to get out of because when you're stuck in like that hundred percent like that, when you're stuck in the body triangle, if you're on top. Like, what are you actually supposed to do there? Okay, maybe you can get your hands up and push off the the hands. But if you have that, like, tight grip there with 100%, I don't know, maybe it's, I mean, I'm sure Paul Brown is probably listening here or maybe Tom King or someone. They could see me. Maybe, a, a yeah, maybe there is a, a yeah. reversal for it that, you know, that uh, Caldwell just didn't know that, mm. that a lot of guys know. But I'd be, interested, I'd be interested to see if it does, if, if, you know, obviously in the gyms, people like trying out things and that happen in big fights. So people probably try it out and if, if if there isn't an easy escape for it we'll probably see it more often but yeah. I, I tend to think that you know a move that's been around this long if it was that effective then and it was really hard to get out of then you know it probably be used more often but time will tell we'll, we'll, we'll probably see you very soon yeah 100% uh, no pun intended um all right, before we get to UFC 255, uh, next week's cards, not the best card in the world, to be honest. I, I was actually going to take like a screenshot and say, all right, Grim, I, I, you don't have the card in front of you yet, have you? Or, or have you been looking at it? Do you have it? Do you have the card in front of you? Here, here. Um, no, I just, okay. I, I know. Okay, wait, I, I wait, just wait, know wait. it's Derek Lewis. Yeah, all right, I'm going to throw three fights at you, and then I'm going to throw another three fights at you. And you tell me which three fights are opening the prelims and you tell me which three fights are on the main card right okay uh suj mudari versus malcolm gordon luke sanders versus nathan manis spike carlisle versus bill Algier. right that's the first three and in the next three josh parisian versus parker porter gina mazani versus rachel ochevich miguel beza versus takashi sato right is the first one or the second one in the main card well, I think the first one is probably should be the, the 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 main card, but the way you phrased the question, I think it's the other way around. 
<laughs> you're, you're correct. So I think Luke Sanders. Yeah. I think Luke Sanders should be on the main card, but the way you phrased the question, he probably isn't. Yeah. So I think, yeah. So I, yeah. This is this is like this is a crazy card on paper. Like, like I, I'm looking at the the prelim card. Luke Sanders and Ashley Evan Smith are the only two people with Wikipedia pages. Like, this this is. I don't want John Cavanaugh to give out to me or anything, but this is a shit card. Like, this is a really bad. Like, I, I like I, I like the Spike Carlisle versus Bill Aljo fight, even though Bill Aljo is that guy who got destroyed by uh, by uh, Brendan Lachnan, and <laughs> he's not in the UFC, and your, your man is. You know, Sanders may not be bad, but, like, who's Sujmadari Malcolm Gordon, Amir Albazi versus Zalas Zgomulgov? Anderson Dos Santos, he's that's fucking a made up name. Versus Martin Day, Ashley Evan Smith versus Norma Dumont Vienna. She sounds like a witch from the fucking seventeen hundreds. Anthony Smith, Devin Clark, okay, not bad. Miguel Baez. John, we need to get we need to get like a UFC super fan or something. Somebody yeah. who thinks they know everybody, everything <laughs> on and make up fake names and real names of UFC fighters. No, yeah. up and see if they can. We get we get Sean Diddy. We get Sean Diddy. Yeah, there's there's nothing on this apart from the top two. What, what about that uh, Mykano Fizeev fight? I know a lot of people think Fizeev he's the next big thing uh, in this lightweight division, and you know his his performance against um, it was Marcia Casey, wasn't it, in his last fight? Yeah, it was, and he beat Alex White before that before losing to to Magomed Mustaev in his uh, in his UFC debut. But he was uh, in Titan FC and doing really well there. Got a few head kick KOs and knees and punches and things as well, but. I think he looks. Uh, I think he looks a really good prospect, and especially after what he did in that Jukesi fight, I think Jukesi looked good in that fight as well. Good fight for him there. Big fight against Mikano as well. If he can beat Mikano, he's really putting himself forward, isn't he? Yeah, and like you know, obviously you just mentioned the Mark Jukesi fight, and Jukesi's kind of started to, started to really put it together, and I was surprised, uh, you know, um, that he lost that one, and it was a very impressive performance from Fiziev. So. Yeah, I've never really rated Maya Khan as uh, as highly as some. I, I remember him being favoured against uh, Aldo, wasn't it? Um, and being very surprised by that. So, um, um, yeah, um, it's a tough one to pick. Like, you probably probably lean Fizayev after the performance against Jacquesi, but he hasn't been in the UFC as long, and you know, um, he did get knocked out in his UFC debut, so. For some reason, I, I think Fiziev is going to win. Wouldn't be in any in, in, in any way confident. Yeah, I wonder. Like, would Mike Hanna be thinking about? And it's I'm going full. Like, I'm actually going full um, BJJ babyface here. But like, I wonder would Mike Hanna try to turn this into a bit of a, a BJJ match and see if Fiziev can kind of stand up to that. Like, I, I think Fiziev is more varied maybe on the feet than Mike Hanna and is a good all-round game as well and you know might beat him there but if Mike Hanna you know I, I could see him if Fizzy have even got a takedown or a pulling guard or something like that you know maybe putting himself in a bit of danger but with the hope of getting a triangle or, a, or an armbar or getting the back in in a transition or something like that maybe Mike Hanna might do that maybe that's the best way to victory for him and you know he's a good jab and he fights long and stuff at times as well but um, I wonder maybe he'll do that, but look at a very interesting fight for for both guys, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the main event in Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. I actually I I did the rewatch for uh, already for this, so I'm I'm really well um, I'm really well prepared, and I, I watched uh, Curtis D- uh, Blades versus Junior Dos Santos, and in that first round of that fight, 
Curtis Bates found it very hard to get takedowns against Junior Dos Santos. Okay, he came out in the second round and he landed a couple of big shots and managed to get the, the knockout. But I feel like if Derek Lewis, you know, we, we always talk about like fit Derek Lewis. And I don't know if it's fat or fit Derek Lewis coming, coming into this. But if Lewis is a bit fit and can kind of move around a bit and, you know, kind of cock out that uppercut as, uh, as Blades comes in and keeps him off him for a bit. Like Blades does have the tendency to kind of get a little bit frustrated when he can't get takedowns and throw hands a little bit and that's exactly what Derek Lewis wants now I'll favor Blades hugely in this fight I think he will be able to get takedowns but like Lewis isn't without a chance I don't think but uh, uh you know how, how do you see it going do you, do you well, Lewis is never never without a chance you know anything can happen in MMA but anything can happen in, especially in a Derek Lewis fight <laughs> um especially fat Derek Lewis yeah um but yeah, um, I see the odds are very wide, and Curtis Curtis Blades is a favor. But uh, I definitely would favor him. But uh, um, there could be some money to be made on Derek Lewis there. You know, he does have extreme power, and you know, um, he, especially at the start of fights, he can kind of power his way out of bad positions on the ground. Uh, obviously, that's not going to work forever, and especially in a you know, in a, in a five-round main event, uh, it may not work for the whole thing. And I definitely think Curtis Blaze is the pick here. But would I be? I wouldn't be that surprised if Derek Lewis got a, a TKO or or ground and or on the feet or on or on the ground. Yeah, like I I think my kind of analysis there is maybe analysis for a better opponent. To be honest, like if he, if he was fighting a steep or we've seen him fight Francis, but you know a John Jones or a Carmier or someone like that. But uh, yeah, against Derek Lewis, I uh, think JDS to take isn't that bad as yeah, well. Good, like you good, know, yeah. obviously Kane destroyed him uh, a couple of times, but like you know, he's not exactly you know. Um, one-dimensional he he definitely you know ha- has a bit of ground game a bit of wrestling and uh, he did get you know get the victory pretty handily in that fight so i wouldn't be reading too much into that right let's get into ufc 255 obviously which went down last night uh and uh, i think the first thing i'll do here if anyone wants to just forward on and not listen to it uh is going to like a little bit of a, a ju- uh <laughs> not a, maybe not a judging round maybe a little bit of a judging round, but a commentary like i actually can't get over how how bad the commentary was last night obviously we're kind of used now to the commentary being bad and judging and stuff but aside from that even i just think Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan are horrible, like horrendously bad. I, I I understand, right? If you want to watch a fight companion, or like even I do it myself, you know, in the true balls thing with the lads, we talk shit during Man United matches. We barely mention the fucking match. You know, we did one, uh, we did one yesterday, and it was like we we barely mention the match. I understand people like that. But that is not meant for a UFC broadcast. And I understand people probably go, oh, you hate the fun. It's, you, you know, you, you could enjoy the fights. I do, do enjoy the fights. I love it. I always say when, like, Bisping's on and he makes jokes about the, the fights and things like that. But he also is serious and he does the serious points at serious times. And he can, you know, it's, the joke is not the whole commentary. Like it is for Joe Rogan and, and Daniel Cormier at times. And it's like, it's not all the time. Okay, fair enough. But at long times. It's just so bad. It's horrendous. It's unlistenable at times. It's so bad. And during that Dolby fight, I like I I, I really like John Anik. I think he's great, but I think he added to the terribleness here as well uh, during that fight. Um, so the 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 I think it was Jedi Goodman. Uh, one of his tweets came up during the broadcast in the start of the third round, and it had Dolby uh, as like a 
a huge underdog to win the fight, win the first two rounds, it'd been very close. And the, on the commentary, they were like, what? Like, how, that doesn't really make any sense. I, I was the same. And then they were like, oh, may, maybe that's because the, the odds makers realise the judges are terrible. And then the fight got to the end, and Dolby won. So, should they not, like, go the other way and go, oh, actually, the judges got it right, the odds makers got it wrong. No, they still said the judges got it wrong, even though at the start of the third round, they, <laughs> they had said the exact opposite. So, literally, they, they criticised the judges for the exact opposite thing in the space of, like, four minutes. It was... It was disgraceful, and I was—I'm glad it wasn't just me, like calling out and noticing this. I saw lots of people uh, giving out about this. It was—it was absolutely horrendous. In the same fight, I believe it was Daniel Cormier asked John Anik if the judges hand up their scores at the end of each round. This was a two-weight UFC champion, and he doesn't know if the scores are handed up at each round. He doesn't know how fights are scored. Like, imagine if you were watching uh, who are Liverpool playing later on Leicester. And uh, Jamie Carragher was on the, the commentary and he didn't know how, how to score a goal. It's the same thing. It's literally the same thing. They're, it's ineptitude at well, the Jamie highest Well, Jamie Carragher order. knowing how to score a goal is probably <laughs> about it. An, an own goal. An own goal. But like, did, did you think it was as bad as I did? For the, I, I think a lot of people agreed with me last night. Usually it's just me, old man, roaring at cloud. But I, I, lots of people agreed with me last night. What, what did you think of it? Yeah. I think it's a it's a long term problem with Cormier and Joe Rogan. I think Cormier is trying to like you know make Joe Rogan laugh more than more than anything. Like it's like a it's, he's trying to be his buddy, <laughs> and uh, that's great or off camera and all that. Do what you want, but when you're on the broadcast, just maybe like once or twice if if you if like a nice joke comes up, a, a layup or something, and like yeah, go for it. But don't make it all about the joke. You know what I mean, or about the the gags. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's been going on for a long time, and it just gets more and more annoying. Like Joe Rogan's got progressively like cares less about his commentary job because he has other things going on that are much more lucrative, I, I suppose. Like uh, and Cormier, sometimes he can be good, but with Rogan, it's it just turns into that. Yeah, he's just trying to make gags all the time, and it's just annoying. And with the scorecard thing, I think that that's happened a few times as well. Like I've seen like. Rogan and Cormier influence. They'll be saying one guy's winning the fight, then a significant uh, strike metric will come up on the screen, and they'll they'll change what they're saying just because uh, just because of that. Even though you know that's not how things are scored. Yeah, it's. But yeah, I think so yeah. It's, like I think the thing with Cormier as well. Sometimes, like I, I don't like Cormier. I just think he's he's bad. But like sometimes when he's by himself and he's like no one to try to impress. He's he's good. He's he, like he's not bad at all. He's he's you can listen to him like he's bearable. But with Rogan, he is completely unbearable. Like it's just oh, it's, like it's embarrassing stuff. It's it's it, you know it reminds me a little bit of Brendan Schaub. Do you ever see those uh those videos like about of him like just agreeing with everything Rogan says? It's uh it's just so bad. But anyway, like we we get onto the fights, but. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how the UFC can continue with this. Because in fairness to the UFC, their commentary has been fantastic over the last few years. The people they've picked... Okay, you can leave the judging stuff aside for a second. But, they, you know, I, I think um, they had one really bad comment commentator, and that was Kenny Florian. And they managed to get him out. You know, okay, it took a few years, but I think they realized it and got him out. It's with Carmier. It's going to be tougher because they have him in like the number one spot now, uh, along with Joe Rogan, and you know it's they need to get him out. Like they need to get him out. Uh, hopefully the WWE come in and and take him and and make the decision easier. But 
<coughs> he's just he, he's just awful he's just awful but anyway um right let's get to some of the fights i suppose that that dalby fight is the first one that, that we've mentioned it um I, I was talking to to my boy Ben Cartledge this morning uh, about this fight, and he gave me a great line. The line he said was, uh, three close rounds don't equal a final close score." And I think that's really the uh, the essence of this fight. It was a unanimous decision, thirty twenty seven to twenty nine twenty eight, and that thirty twenty seven. You know, if you look at that on on a whole, you think, "Oh, what was a closer fight than that?" But it's the rounds. As I said earlier on, as Daniel Cormier didn't know. The, the the cards are handed up at the end of each round. If it's 10-9, you know, for, for Judge A, for Fighter A, for Fighter B, that's the score it's going to be. And if it's the same in the second, same in the third. It doesn't matter if you win by one punch in each of those rounds. If that's enough, yeah. it's You're scoring every round as a single kind of fight, a standalone fight. Yeah. In terms of the scoring, like the, the other rounds before or after have no relevance. It's, it's, it's the five minutes as a fight. Yeah, I, like I, I picked Rodriguez to win this fight. I, I was talking to Philip O'Connor yesterday, and he was telling me about his bets he was putting on. I was like, "Don't back Dalby." <laughs> and and then uh, I, I thought Dalby won the fight. I thought it was twenty nine, twenty eight, uh, to be honest. But it was, it was one of those ones where I don't think thirty twenty seven Rodriguez is a terrible score. Now I think Dalby did win the first round. Uh, all right, so like twenty nine, twenty eight, uh, Rodriguez. I think is a good score here. You know, it's uh, but uh, I did think Dalby won it, but. It was one of those ones where it, it, we have to realize when we're talking about MMA judging that if if you want perfection, so I saw someone last night said, "Oh, this MMA judging is so frustrating. It's like you know trying to dart at a dartboard, pick out what Jenny score." If you want a perfection, we need a different system, and I don't think there is a different system that can give us that perfection. I don't think it exists. I've talked about this and thought about this over and over and over again. Talked to some of the best people in the world about it it's always going to be close. Close rounds are going to be close rounds. Always. If there's only, you know, I was, oh, what the f- what round was it last night? Uh, one of the rounds between Calvillo and Chukagan. I was like, there's n- there's nothing standing out here. There's, there's neither of these people are standing out with who's winning the round. It was like jabbing, 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 you know, bits of punches, bits of punches. Nothing huge, nothing big. No one getting knocked down. No one getting cut. No one getting big submissions or anything like that. When you're in that situation, like wh- why blame the judges for that? Like, it's an even fight. It, it's impossible to pick a winner at times in that. They're going down to minuscule things to pick good winners. And I, I think the Dalby-Rodriguez fight, especially round two and three, were, were similar to that. Uh, but anyway, uh, right. Let's get to... I'll run through some of the undercard fights first, uh, and then we'll get to the, the big fights. Uh, Sasha Palalnikov versus Louis Koski was a really, really good fight. I think it did win fight at night, actually. Uh, Koski um, did a great job in the first round. He managed to get uh, Palatnikov down. Um, looked like he was dominating. Like, Palatnikov was, was getting beaten really, really badly. And then it kind of turned around uh, very quickly. And I think Palatnikov actually won that first round. And he came out in the second round. Uh, and it wasn't as good of a round. But Palatnikov was definitely winning that. There was a bit of a, a dick kick at one stage. And then he managed to get the finish uh, in the third round. So a really, really good fight there. If you haven't seen that one, didn't tune in for the, the prelims. That one's a good one. <coughs> Dawkins versus Stoltzfus. The opposite kind of not great. And uh, Dawkins got the win there. Uh, Alan Joban looked good, I thought, against Jared Gooden. That was a good kind of, you know, stand-up fight for 15 minutes. It was it was a fun enough decision. Then we had the Dalby Rodriguez. 
Um, Antonina Shevchenko. Uh, this this fight, I I got. <laughs> This fight, the cooler, the cooler. Uh, yeah, the cooler's back. Although two of my three bets in the betting show came out a four to one win and a ten to three win. So if you back the three of those bets, you would have won a lot of money in the betting show. Uh, Severemeta.com forward slash Patreon. Um, or no, yeah, yeah. Uh, or if you put the house on Lipsky, like uh, <laughs> you were indicating, and you, you're down a house. <laughs> but you're up like ten other houses with the other two bets, but. Um, I thought this was the best performance of Shevchenko's career. I thought she was phenomenal. I thought Lipsky was really bad. I thought she was really bad. Like, there was opportunities uh, against Shevchenko when they were kind of in clinches and stuff. She got it on top at one stage for a few seconds, but she just, you know, she almost took the back at one stage. It's just, you know, it was it was disappointing. Now, I thought Shevchenko was strong on top at times, especially when Lipsky was kind of looking for that leg lock again like she got in her last fight, and she was kind of stretching out for it. Uh, but I thought Shevchenko did a good job on top, and, you know, it was uh, it was a great effort from Shevchenko and a really, really good performance from her. And, you know, I still don't think she's the best fighter in the world. I think anyone wrestling who is, like, smart enough to go out and wrestle her will do, uh, uh, you know, a, a demolition job on her, but... Lipsky didn't have that last night, in fairness, so, you know, Lipsky, I, I think we have to recalibrate our thoughts about her, you know, and, and maybe we should have before, after the, the bad performance against Joanne Calderwood and stuff, but I thought she came back from that and looked good, but last night, again, not great. Um, then Jackie Buckley, the the highlight reel KO knockout of the year, one of the greatest knockouts of all time in his last fight, came back against Jordan Wright, and it was an interesting fight in the first round. You know, arguably Jordan Wright was winning it, you know, maybe not, but uh, Buckley came back and almost knocked him out uh, at the end of the first round, just throwing big hooks, and in 18 seconds into the uh, the second round, just throwing those big fists again and knocked him out, uh, knocked him out really well. Actually, Cormier showed on the Telestrator after this, and it shows what Cormier can actually do well. You know, he showed the shots that Buckley threw and Buckley landed, and it was like, do you know, the left hook actually reminded me a bit of... Um, Remember when uh, F- uh, Chad Mendes knocked out, or Frank Edgar knocked out Chad Mendes? You remember that one? He was kind of like on the nose, or kind of just kind of glanced to the front of his face and knocked him out. And obviously Jordan Wright was badly hurt before that, uh, but it was a, a really really nice KO. Um, what, what do you think of Jackie and Buckley? Do you like? I know he got knocked out pretty recently. I think at the start of the year, if I'm not mistaken, um, against uh, against Kevin Holland. Do you like? Do you think it's kind of a short-term big knockouts, or do you think he can kind of go far in, in that division? I know middleweight division isn't the best division in the world. Yeah, well, you know, obviously Kevin Holland is uh, like that. That loss wasn't great, but since then, you know, the last two fights he's been he's been very impressive, especially the, the jumping, spinning, <laughs> kick, back kick, or whatever, yeah. whatever you call that. That was sensational, and you know, uh, but it's against guys, uh, it's against two undefeated guys, but against guys who are kind of unproven in the UFC. So it'd be interesting to see him against higher caliber guys and how he does. But uh, I definitely wouldn't be um, jumping on any t- title uh, run bandwagon just yet. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think he deserves the lift up, and I think um, Holland deserves it as well. But it's, I think it's interesting when a guy like that. I think you have to give him someone like Jordan Wright who will. You know, who will fight him in the way he fought him last night. Unfortunately for Jordan Wright, it didn't go great. But I, I think you keep the train rolling with Buckley for a while. And I don't think there's any need maybe to laugh him into the top 15. Give him interesting fights. Give him fun fights. Uh, and uh, and keep it going. 
Um, and in the main event of the prelims, saw Brandon Moreno against um, Brandon Royval in a, a really, really fun flyweight fight. Um, Moreno was kind of dominating this. Royval was throwing big hands and he really wasn't afraid of him. So was Moreno. Fight got to the ground and Moreno was like, it looked like he was he was dead on to get a twister a couple of times. He didn't manage to get it, but he got like the, it reminded me a little bit of the, the McGregor, was it Dave Hill fight? Where he was like in the rear naked choke, but also like fucking crushing his spine with the body triangle. Uh, and even more with the, the, the kind of the, the spine crush uh, for, for Moreno here. Um, but Rival did a great job and was able to survive it. Um, the fight kind of got back to its feet for a while, if I believe, and got back to the ground. Then again, um, Moreno was in. I actually went back and watched it again with about ten or fifteen seconds left in the round. Moreno, uh, our rival, sorry, was in on a leg lock attempt, and Moreno turned out of it as you're supposed to do. Uh, rotated, and as he rotated. Uh, Rival was obviously trying to hold it as hard as he possibly can and uh, could on that leg. And as he wrote, as Moreno rotated, Rival's shoulder dislocated. And you could see Rival threw one punch. And he was like, oh, what was that? And then he threw another one or kind of an elbow. And he was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> my arm is gone. And then he, uh, uh, Moreno just got on top and whaled him and Mark Goddard stopped it. It says one second left in the round, the official line, but it was two seconds left in the round. Uh, watching it initially, I was like, okay, he got injured, but I think it was going that way anyway. But on rewatch, I don't think it was. Like, I think Moreno, Moreno was going to win. I think he's the better fighter. I think he dominated most of the fight. But I don't think that fight would have ended if he didn't get injured. What, what, what did you think of the, the fight itself and, and the injury yeah. finish? Well, I, I think Moreno probably heard the scream, you know, yeah. the, when the shoulder popped out. And, you know, he, he's like, if I, if I flurry here, the, the ref will probably stop it. And the ref probably heard as well. And, you know, it's hard to defend yourself with a, mm-hmm. n- n- properly with a shoulder out of its socket. And as he said in the commentary, if he had got back to his corner, they probably could have popped it back in and he could have continued. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> You know, it was it was smart from Moreno to you know they weren't the biggest shots, but they were there was enough shots that were unanswered and undefended and with Goddard standing right over right over the fight. So, yeah, I think it was you know uh, intelligent intelligent from Moreno to do that. But I think as you said, maybe the it's, it's very likely that he would have made it to the end of the round if if uh, the shoulder hadn't popped out. But you know these things happen in MMA. Yeah, it's one of those ones as well. Like people after the the Weidman Anderson Silva. Uh, leg break one people were saying like oh it's lucky you know but that that wasn't look are, are unfortunate for for anderson silva as the case maybe but but chris weidman caused that to happen by checking the leg kick you know that's that's a, an actual technique in mma and in kickboxing or might or whatever it might be um and marino caused this you know it was marino's move and now it's okay you can say it's not a, a technique he didn't try to dislocate his shoulder but his movements caused the injury we we you know you can call it a lucky injury you can call it a lucky knockout or whatever you want but it's not like he was walking along and he pulled his hamstring and he had to you know fall down and tap moreno actually caused it so it's one of those it's it's kind of an in between I, I think uh, I, I think I don't think a rematch is the right job here I think Moreno deserves the title shot I think he's done well enough uh, and obviously we'll talk about the the title fight in a, in, a, in a few minutes but uh, I'd love to see him fight uh, for the title um then the start of the, the main cards. Uh, actually, we, we'll talk about the Chukagan-Calvio fight first. You know, fair play to Caitlin Chukagan. I think she just refuses to be a gatekeeper. 
uh, but it's a bad thing for the division. I know uh, Ariel was chirping me last night saying, what about Jessica Andrade? And yeah, Jessica Andrade is right there. And, you know, Lauren Murphy is there as well. But, you know, other than that, Dana was asked about it last night. And he's talking about uh, Valentina Shinko fighting Zhang Weili. He's talking about other things as well. And, you know, the division... Okay, the division is still getting together. I remember I did the... Uh, and we must actually do it again. The State of the UFC with Zane Simon a while back. And uh, he was saying, like, the divisions actually come together pretty quickly at times. And I was like, mm, I don't know. But, like, if Calvillo had won last night, I think then immediately you have three kind of contenders with her, um, uh, Jessica Andrade, and Lauren Murphy is right there as well. And, okay, Lauren Murphy might be the name, but she's some good wins, and she got a good win recently as well. And I think she's right there, thereabouts. So, I've, you know, you have kind of people lining up. Now you have kind of the one obvious one, and then maybe Murphy behind her, and she'd probably have to take another fight, and it's going to be a tough fight for her as well. So, you know, if Calvillo had won, you just have kind of more options there, and maybe you could make the Calvillo versus Murphy fight to, to decide who's going to be the next one if... Um, uh, if uh, Jessica Andrade is getting the next title shot, so it's you know not a great win for the division. But that who why should Caitlin Chukagan give a fuck about that? You know, so fair play that they're going in there. And this was one of your bets of the week, wasn't it as well? Chukagan to win by uh, to win decision. by decision. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's free money betting Chukagan <laughs> by decision if you think she's going to win. So yeah, it's a good uh, a good I look a good performance for some good jazz. I thought. I thought there was a couple of close rounds in here, to be honest. You know, it's one of those ones as well where 3027 probably flatters Chukagan a little bit, but all close rounds and, you know, her... I, I, there was a couple of rounds, like, where... I think it was the first round. I, I was thinking, like, this is more effective aggression than effective striking because there was no big, immediately impactful shot. It was more like jabs and stuff like that. And I know, you know... Me, uh, <laughs> you can call that effective striking, and it probably is effective striking. But you know what I mean? Like she was, there was nothing, there was nothing outstanding in it. It, it was, it was more impactful. just yeah, big impactful, impactful shots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but look, it's enough when your opponent can't get anything impactful off on you. So a good win for Kagan. Um, how sad was this show going? Who a uh, Paul Craig fight? Like I, 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 I thought Craig looked good. You know, fair play to Craig. We we'll give him his due. Yeah, it, especially it, at the start of striking. Like mm-hmm. he definitely seemed to work on his striking, his kicks. Like uh, you know, not being trying to not be one dimensional, and you know, it, it definitely um, it's definitely somewhere he needs to improve, and looks like he is improving. So that's good. But uh, yeah, I think uh, this fight, <laughs> Shogun just looked awful. Um. And basically just gave up at the end, uh, which is which is always sad to see somebody like Shogun, a legend of the sport, just kind of getting dominated by a, a like you know a no namer you know, to a lot of people, a lot of the casual fans, and you know, uh, yeah, I, I thought Shogun was going to win this fight, but he just looked absolutely awful. Yeah, like the thing about Shogun as well in this fight is, I, I was looking at the start of it and they showed a clip of. Um, I don't know if it's on social media or on the broadcast of Shogun like from old fights and he, you know he was in a very different sort of shape like Shogun has never been fucking Jackie Buckley in, in terms of like his, uh, his physical shape but he looked uh, you know I thought he looked back in a shape that he had kind of looked like before you know he looked a bit more muscular than usual not as you know maybe maybe flabby and stuff you know Shogun probably if Middleweight is probably his way you know he'd probably get down there but he chooses not to do that and so I was like, maybe a little bit hopeful, but from the very start, you know, Paul Craig was taking him down just effortlessly, 
just look as you said with the strike and I thought Craig's like switch kicking and things like that were really really good he looked really athletic and fast and Shogun just could not deal with that whatsoever um looked really bad and in the end like he tapped the strikes for someone like Shogun who you know is a legend of the game and a legend like the Joe Rogan was talking about the shoot the box where these guys went in there and they went to war you know it was almost fucking life or death going in there in in not only in fights but in fucking training for him to tap the strikes I think it was it was a poignant moment kind of in his career it's like you know no mass that's it that that wasn't him just tapping in the fight. I think that was tapping in the, his career. It's you remember when Chris Lieben that time, and I know he's come back since, but like when he 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 quit in the middle of the the cage and and just gave up. It was like that's it. I, I just can't do this anymore. Like Tyson, the time he didn't. I know he's fucking coming back as well, but it, you know that's a, a sign of the times as well. It's it was one of those. It's like this isn't Shogun anymore. This is you know this is Mauricio Huan here. This is not Shogun, and I was. It was sad to see someone, you know, who was around for a lot of his career and good things, but obviously went back and we've done career retrospectives and all of that uh, and looked at some of his fights and, you know, he was a a legend, but he's not that legend anymore. And now is it like Shogun has been doing well recently. You know, what did they say? He's won like five of his last seven fights. So not bad at all. So he hasn't reached a point in his career where it's BJ Penn level or anything like that. And he was, you know... He was on the verge of that, I think, for a while, but he didn't reach it, and he managed to make a comeback. But now is the time. Now is the time. He's had long enough. He's had that resurgence late in his career. He's had that chance almost getting, you know, back towards title contention and stuff. Now is the time. Now is the time. Shogun, is, he's done everything in his career, pride and, and UFC champion, whole, you know, the whole shebang, and uh, that's enough. That's really enough for me. Uh, we had slight technical difficulties there. I'm after losing Graham, so I'm just gonna finish off the podcast here, uh, by myself. Uh, anyway, so um, Tim Means versus Mike Perry in the third fight from the top. Um, you know, I thought it was a fun fight. I thought the first round, uh, one judge didn't give it to to Mike Perry, but I thought Mike Perry did enough. You know, I thought he even though the strikes that set Tim Means won it, but. MMA is more about striking. Mike Perry got the fight to the ground. He he almost had him in a choke a, a couple of times. I thought there was a bit of effective grappling. Now, not loads, but I thought Perry was winning it there. I also thought Perry landed the harder strikes in that shot, so or in that uh, in that round. So yeah, I thought he did well. But you know, Perry came in here and he missed weight, four and a half pounds. We talked about it a little bit on the betting show. Um, and I think that kind of told. I think he he got tired really really quickly. I think um, means like means is one of those fighters as well. <clears throat> like on his best on his day when he throws those kind of combinations, and when he he really gets into it, he's a dangerous guy. You know he's a really dangerous fighter. And I thought he performed really really well here. I thought he he uh, he did a really really good job, and uh, just like kind of took away the fight uh, from from. Um, Mike, uh, Mike Perry at times. Um, so in the first round, as I said, Perry got the takedown, took the back. Uh, I mean, I, I, there was one stage as well where um, Perry was had was flat on his back on the ground with uh, the back of Means taken, and he obviously hadn't the legs crossed or anything. He had the two hooks in, but Means, uh, I thought there was three opportunities for Means to kind of turn and you know just get into his guard. 
and okay, he took it in the third one, but I thought there was like maybe a minute, maybe a minute and a half where he didn't. But it was funny afterwards. He was talking uh, in the I don't know it's the press conference or in the in the interview with Joe Rogan, and he kind of said that I don't know. He didn't say it exactly, but he kind of said he did on purpose. He was kind of waiting for. Perry to kind of blow himself out, or you know, uh, to take away uh, take away some of his cardio, and I, I think it worked. You know, I don't I don't know if it was the smartest decision in the world, uh, but in, it, it paid off for him, uh, and he just jabbed his face off in the second round. I thought it was a clear uh, means round that second, and the third was less clear, but I still think means one. I think he just landed too much. Um, actually, in the in the second round as well, someone asked me about it last night. My my boy Shaq over in Fightful, there was kind of a knockdown for. Perry, but I think when you look at that knockdown and you look at that hard shot, it what comes out. I remember talking to Ben uh, Ben Cartledge about it on the podcast once. I think it was the was it was it a Dar- 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 fight with a girl? <laughs> I don't know. I have such a bad memory now, but there was a knockdown, and then something came after it, or, or not enough came after it for that knockdown to be scored that heavily because you know. It's it's not just like the knockdown. It's the effect of the knockdown, is the real thing. You know, it's about the f- effective striking, effective grappling. So if you knock someone down and they're wobbling around, you can see that has a great effect on them. But if you knock someone down and two seconds later they're back jabbing the face off you, well, you can tell that that knockdown is not as effective as like a big hammering knockdown, like a Jordan Wright one at the end or a, a Jordan Bo- Jordan Wright. Oh yeah, Jordan uh, Jackie and Buckley against Jordan Wright at the end of that uh, first round. So, I thought that was good scoring in the second round. An interesting round as well. But, um, yeah, I thought that was good scoring. And in the third, I thought it was good scoring as well. Uh, means it kind of got into a war. But I think he did enough. But Perry did a good job as well. But, uh, yeah, good uh, a good win there for Tim Means. The talk again will be, will they cut Mike Perry? Then I was asked about it. And he said he wouldn't. So, you know, we'll probably have this conversation again. Uh uh, next uh, next time he fights uh, so the two title fights Valentina Shashinko versus Jennifer Maya first of all uh, Valentina came out and she landed some nice punches early but almost immediately she got a trip spent four minutes on top uh, Herb Dean really should have stood them up but he didn't didn't land that much but a clear Valentina Shashinko round you know um, Jennifer Maya just didn't do anything really to be honest uh, the second round in Maya did a great job. She looked game as fuck. Um, she spent two minutes in against the clinch, which, okay, it didn't score big, but it kind of showed Valentina Shashinko that Maya was in the fight. You know, that she was there, and she wasn't there just to show up and make the numbers and dare to lose. She was in that fight, uh, and she managed to get a takedown. She was on top for about two minutes, landed a few shots. Uh, Shashinko went for a triangle, not really there at all, uh, but Maya did more than enough, I think, to win that round, and all three judges gave it her, so a really good round for Maya but from that point on Joe Rogan was like oh Maya's in this fight Maya's gonna win it when in actuality Shevchenko just took over from this point like let, let's be honest here she lost the second round and it wasn't like she you know got destroyed or anything she she kind of ended up in a long prolonged clinch and then she got taken down and she lost it because of that uh in the third round there was a clinch again, but Valentina managed to get out this time. Uh, she landed three or four lovely kind of straight lefts. A big high amplitude takedown for Valentina Shashinko. Uh, Maya just, uh, managed to get up. Clinched for a minute or so, but didn't land much. <coughs> and uh, Valentina Shashinko got another late impactful takedown. So a, a relatively close round, but clear but close, I think, for uh, Valentina Shashinko. Um, in the fourth round... 
there was about two minutes at the start of Valentina Shashinko just boxing her up before Valentina again got a takedown. She's on top for the next three minutes. Herb warning him again, no stand-ups, you know, a close enough round. And then, uh, you know, at this stage of the fight, uh, I, I was kind of thinking, and I, I tweeted before it, uh, sometimes Valentina can kind of ride fights out, you know, and, and I think she kind of talked about that in the post-fight interview as well. I think she was just getting rounds in here by the end of this fight. You know, in the fifth round, she opened up a bit because she, I think she realised, she, okay, she had enough fight time. She landed some nice strikes. Uh, Maya did well, though. She kept coming back and she got the clinch. Uh, went for that spinning arm drag with Valentina Shashinko. Uh, punched her up again late. And that was uh, was just about enough. 49-46 uh, Shashinko. You know, a good performance. A, a valiant effort by Maya made more you know by by the commentary and by joe rogan kind of getting on her side but you know if you're i can live with that as a commentator because you know he's on the ufc and his job is there what's his job really kind of to promote the ufc and to promote the like i'd rather call what exactly is actually happening but you know that's something that i can understand i don't necessarily like or agree but i can understand it um so a good win for shevchenko you know just well, look, it was what it was. It, it was what it was written on the tin, and not just the next challenger who was never going to beat Shevchenko, and she did a great job of of, uh, of uh, you know beating her. Uh, and as we already spoke about uh, what's uh, what's coming next. Um, actually, just before we get to the main event, I just saw the fight next week, which was supposed to be the common event, which we spoke about earlier on. Hanato Maikano uh, has failed the COVID nineteen test, so that fight's actually been moved. Uh, up until the next pay-per-view so that's going to be three weeks away so uh, our preview for that we'll just copy and paste it on this podcast and put it in the next one but uh, anyway the main event uh, Davison Figueredo versus Alex Perez so this was this was a bit mad I, I, I picked uh, I picked Davison Figueredo to win uh, by submission here and that's exactly what I did I went back and watched the whole fight and I kind of paused it again because I was like this, this was interesting I was watching it live and I was like Perez is hitting him and I was like, Whoa. I went back and watched it. I was like, was he hitting him? And he was. You know, Perez hit him with a good few shots. Um, so they came straight out and Figueredo landed a, a nice kick kind of to the body under the arm. High body kick. Uh, there was a nice three-shot combo from Perez. Two of them kind of half landed, which showed immediately he was willing. You know, and if anyone uh, watched the rewatch during the week or, or you know, has watched, gone back and watched Perez's fight, you know his game. You know he'll throw hands. Uh, Perez did a great job as well, I thought, of... Uh, very early changing kind of levels to make it look like he was going for a takedown. Um, but, you know, another kick came from uh, from Figueiredo to the body, but Perez fired back yet again. Uh, some nice leg kicks uh, and a beautiful body kick right after it by Perez. Perez went in for that single leg. Um, uh, Figueiredo held the fence. Mark Gallagher did a good job of getting that off. Uh, he jumped down on the heel hook, did Perez... Uh, or did uh, Figueredo, sorry, and Perez landed a big hammer fist, uh, and he, he managed to land on, on Figueredo's back, and at that point you're thinking, oh, God, is he, is he going to submit him here? But Figueredo immediately uh, turned, slaps on the guillotine, Perez almost pushed out the hand uh, to get his neck out, uh, he it just elevated a little bit, but Figueredo kind of went with him, uh, and he got he kind of got more into it by elevating, uh, and uh, he was forced to tap, and, and Figueredo won the fight. I have an interest in Tiro here. Like, okay, it was a great fight uh, for for as long as it lasted. I think Perez was game. Okay, it lasted what less than two minutes. Um, 
and and Figueredo is just a destroyer, really. He just really is. He's a really, really good fighter. But it's an interesting one, right? At flyweight, we we always talk about like they're more technical fighters and they're going to go longer. And you know, maybe if he was fighting Demetrius Johnson, he'd need to be more like that. But I think Figueredo has fought found a really good way of fighting because. If you are like Figueredo and you're a finisher, right? Big strikes, big power, and big a big guy for that weight class. Big submissions. You can fight in such a way where you can throw them as hard as you want and don't throw much in between them because you're at a lighter weight and your cardio is not really going to be affected that as much by it. Like, if someone... He fights... Do you know who he kind of fights like? He fights... In kind of a heavyweight manner, you know, <laughs> he he fights like uh, okay, more dynamic and and more skillful and things like that. But he he fights he fights like a, a Alistair over him or something like that. You know, where he has that front hand out and he's looking for you, he's looking for you, and then big shot, you know. And uh, I think it's it's really interesting because if you are that and you have those skills as a flyweight, I think it's actually way easier to do it as a flyweight now. It's way harder to have those skills, and it's way harder to have that as a skill set, you know, and to develop that skill set when you're a smaller guy. But once you have that, and you're, you know, you have you have all those, um, uh, you have all those attributes. Doing a game plan like this, or having a a career like this, you know, <laughs> deciding to go in this way is really smart, I think, and it's it's an interesting one. Looking forward to see. If someone can pull Figueredo into a fight that's going to be longer than that, or pull him into a war like Moreno might, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a it's a very very interesting one here. I think uh, they're looking. Dana White's looking for him to fight Moreno in December, which to me, like, why would you do that? Because Moreno's a guy who will pull him into a war, but also Figueredo, as I mentioned, he's a big guy and he struggled to make weight before. Him. So you're gonna pull him in in what three weeks time? I think some yeah. Th- I think it's exactly three weeks from today, uh, and have him try to make weight again and fight again makes no sense. Makes no sense. Leave that fight until next January, next February, uh, and do it then. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing Figueroa's career uh, progress over the next while because he's a really interesting fighter. Um, so yeah, overall, like I, I thought it was a, a really good card. I think I tweeted about it uh, in in the middle of last week's card that like. It has the two destructions at the top, and it has fun fights underneath, and that's exactly what it was, you know. The, the two title fights, dominant performances by the two champions, the means Perry fight, really fun. We got the Chukagan fight that we knew we'd get, the Paul Craig fight, okay, it was a good fight, even though it was a bit sad. Marino fight was really good, Buckley, big knockout. Shashinko, great performance. Dalby, great performance in a good fight. The uh, Palatnikov, fantastic performance from him, really good fight as well. Okay, Joban Dawkins. Not bad, not not terrible fights. Um, so and they were on the prelims as well. So it was all good, really good card, and uh, yeah, that's that. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Go to eu.manscape.com. Use the promo code Severe in May, twenty uh, percent off free shipping, uh, and also uh, yeah, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Severe May podcast. Podcast has gone kind of long enough here, so um, may- oh, hold on, we maybe we'll have one or two questions. Maybe we'll have one or two. We'll see. I I just p- put out a tweet there a few minutes ago. Uh, here so uh, let's see if any came true and and we'll uh we'll answer one or two of them here um uh who are the most deserving fighters for the lightweight title bout the division is stacked right now and the, uh, and the additions of cowboy 
uh, and Dosanias. I think Holloway could go up. Um, look, it's it's an interesting one as we talked about earlier in the podcast. Oliveira is fighting Tony Ferguson here coming up soon. McGregor is fighting Poirier. So if the title isn't on the line for either of those two fights, I think it makes her life easy there, really, doesn't it? You know, have the two winners fight each other for a title fight. It's not uh, <laughs> like it's not who's more deserving. You find out immediately who's more deserving. All four of those guys are really deserving of it. Uh, and I know, okay, people might say Chander and Gaethje. G- Gaethje just had his fight. Chander's never fought in the UFC. So I think you can you can put those guys in the back burner for a second. You know, maybe have those fight and the winner of that fight for the title against, uh, <laughs> against the other ones. You have lots of options. Um, there's no right option, I don't think, at, uh, at lightweight. I-, I feel like I feel like if, uh, you know, Dana White has this chat with Habib and he decides to give up the title... Um, it's not going to be soon enough for the Tony Ferguson Oliveira fight, and I don't think that's the right fight for it anyway. Will they put it on McGregor versus Poirier? I'm not sure. It depends. It depends. I think if he's doing this big international fight week, Dana White, if he can get, um, uh, if he can get a you know crowd in and all, maybe he'll start pushing for it himself. Maybe he will. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, Gavin Springer is Mike Perry an updated version of Mayhem Miller? outside of the cage a little bit although i think i think mayhem miller is a different sort of case i think he has really you know i think mike perry is just kind of a scumbag whereas mayhem miller has like mental problems and things so i think they're a little bit different uh but inside like inside the cage i think mayhem miller was a good fighter but i I don't think he was a fantastic fighter and, and i don't think he ever was a fantastic fighter to be honest um and my my Perry's not a fantastic fighter as well, but I think he's he's relatively good. So, uh, yeah. Um, who does Conor Evan Camp put him? I think we mentioned it earlier on the podcast. Um, King Cowley is there, and uh, Lee Hammond. I'm not sure who else other than that. I I just saw that on Instagram, so I have no inside information or anything. But, um, how do you deal with covering events that start at three AM? Last question here from Jamie Lynn. So we'll answer all the rest in the Q and A. How do I deal with it? To be honest, very badly. <laughs> Especially when I stayed up for Invicta. I stayed up for uh, for Bellator as well on Thursday. It's uh, it's it's tough. It is really tough, you know. And doing it for years and years and years. And it's probably 60 nights a year or maybe even more. Doing it, 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 it fucks up your sleep pattern. It fucks up your week. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really have the choice to not stay up and watch them you know especially we do the sunday podcast um i i'm not you know, i love i love doing it and i love watching the fights and everything but that 3 a.m is a is a toll it takes its toll as well so all right everybody thanks very much uh for listening apologies for the end of the podcast there when we lost graham but um we shall be back to normal next week and everything on the the q the q a on, on tuesday I'm not sure if it's this week or next week I have the podcast, but I have a really interesting podcast. If you're in- interested in commissions and judging and open scoring and things like that, uh, I'll have it in the next couple of weeks on uh, on Patreon and maybe here as well. So uh, look out for that. Uh, the rewatch interviews, the whole lot coming up here over the next while. So uh, patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. And as always, um, severe or by Ian O'Neill last was it last I O'Neill MMA. I don't know you'll find him anyway search Ian O'Neill Andy Stevenson doing great jobs Patrick Sheehan great photographer uh, Graham at Severe MMA myself Sean Sheehan BA Patrick Forn Harry Williams Sean Betts all the boys give him a follow go over on Twitter really support Severe MMA if you can uh, and even you know if you don't want to sign up for Patreon if you don't want to follow get this podcast get the link you know you, uh, whether it's on your iTunes whether it's on your on SoundCloud whether it's on the website 
tweet it out tag me at Chanchi NBA you'll get a retweet immediately you might get a few followers out of it uh, so uh, spread the word help us out help us help you uh, and that's it last thing here is the inspiration quote of the week before you give up think about why you held on for so long we'll see you next Tuesday or probably Sunday